You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, tonight. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, if you're able, if you'll stand with me, we'll look at a couple of passages here in the chapter. Verse 13. Matthew 5, 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our Lord God, tonight, we thank you for your spirit that is in this place. Lord, we have been blessed by the testimonies and by the singing. And, uh, but Lord, we humble ourselves tonight and we ask that you would speak to us God, how we long for you to illuminate your word and to do something eternal in our hearts. So, Father, do that which we cannot do. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we come to Matthew 5, we understand that this This message is a training ground. It is a message not of salvation, but a message of righteousness. You'll notice in verse 1 that Jesus separates himself from the multitudes and he ascends up into the mountain. And the Bible says that the disciples would come unto him and when they were set, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Even the very fact of them making the climb to follow Jesus was a lesson in itself. That they must must separate themselves from the affairs and the cares of the multitude that whatever passions and whatever pleasures that the multitude would have, those who would learn of Jesus must leave that in the valley and make that climb to sit under his feet and to hear from him. 
as you begin the Beatitudes, you'll notice in verse 3 and 4 and 5, the first three of those are uh, interesting where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it's interesting to me that Jesus is interested in what you are before he considers what you do. It is in verse 6 that the language changes. No longer does he reference blessed are the meek, blessed are they that mourn, but then he references an action. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we find that those disciples, and I, I would reference this, that I believe Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the local New Testament Baptist church. And this was not just teaching for discipleship, but this was teaching for how the Baptist members of that church should operate and live. That as Jesus would ascend into heaven, the ministry and the words and the work of Jesus would continue to propel in a lost world through his local church. I need more of an amen on that one. And so here is the Lord teaching this great sermon on the mount. And I can't emphasize that enough, that it is the sermon up on the mount. It's not the sermon in the valley. You want to learn this. You have to make the climb. You have to be willing to separate. You have to be willing to sit under the feet of Jesus. But we find here that as he begins to go through these, these beatitudes... That we come and the language changes once again in verse 13 and 14. He doesn't say blessed are, nor does he say, nor does he say blessed are they which do. But in verse 12 and verse 14, it is emphatic in the language, ye are. You'll notice in verse 13 that he begins with ye are the salt of the earth. Salt would have many qualities. I'm not going to preach on verse 13 tonight. But I do want to say that the greatest quality I believe that salt has is that salt, literally when you begin to study salt, it is a miracle in itself. But salt prevents the decay. Interesting that he says you are not, he doesn't say you're the salt of the world. He says you're the salt of the earth. How many understand that this earth is decaying? Everything of this earth is corrupt. It is dying. It is, it is growing old. It is falling apart. It is in a state of decay. And, and as, as we see this earth in its decay, ye are the salt, the spiritual miracle that prevents the decay, that literally stops it in its tracks. Then we come to the next verse. And the Lord is giving us two very common household items that would be in the Jewish homes for these disciples to understand what they are in their society. That they are not only the salt of the earth, but then in verse 14, and it's interesting to me that in verse 14 we have four verses or three verses that will kind of be a, a part of this text where he says, ye are the light of the world. What a statement. Ye, Peter, 
John? Bartholomew? I mean, these guys, man, they're, they're just getting started. They're rough. I'm not sure they're ready to pastor. I mean, sure, I want them passing out tracks. Ye? Ye. Oh, what God can do. But it is our responsibility. We think of the sun and the power of that sun, the ability of that sunshine. The world revolves around that light. And yet we find that ye are the light of the world. He makes reference in this. You'll notice in verse 14, the word world. In verse 14, the second sentence there, a city. You'll notice in, in, in verse uh, 15, he references uh, uh, the last line, the last word of verse 15, a house. And then in verse 16, let your light so shine before men. The world, the city, the house, the men, all of them are in darkness. God wants the light to penetrate in every corner, in every village, in every neighborhood, in every city. There is no place too dark. There is no place that is forgotten by God. There is no place that is overlooked by the Lord Jesus Christ. He desires for that light to shine. He desires for that light to penetrate. Now, I, I want to if I can make this kind of simple this, this evening, I'm not going to make it quick, but I'll make it simple. I want us to understand, first of all, in, the, in the, the reference here in the text, that light, light illuminates the places of darkness. Now, I know that's a simple concept, but it, it, it illuminates that which is darkness. And the problem that we have in our society is we have a problem, and the problem is that men love darkness. Take your Bible and turn over, if you would, to John chapter 3. You can put something here in place in Matthew 5, because we're coming back to it. But turn over, if you would, to a reference in John chapter 3. And if you'll look with me in verse 16 where it says this, this wonderful verse that we love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting, what's that last word? Life. For God, this is interesting, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So, so understand that Jesus Christ, the light referenced in John 1, this is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Isn't that correct? And that light was sent like travels. We measure literally the speed of light, do we not? And here we have that God so loved the world and that he sent his son and, and with this son we understand that he is everlasting life. In verse eight, he that, or 18, 
He that believeth not, or believeth on him, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And, so, so catch this. We're talking about life from God being sent. And then notice here that as we're talking about eternal life, he says in verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. Time out, Brother Nance. I thought Jesus Christ was life. Now you're telling me that life is also connected to light? Amen. Yes, it is. Yep, it's exactly what the Bible's doing. All right, All right now no, notice what else it says here. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil... Notice their response. They hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. For he that, now, now here's another word that's going to be emphasized. For he that doeth, what's that next word? Truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. In other words, that these deeds, these deeds are not done from a man just flipping over a leaf. These deeds are not done because somebody just decided, I'm going to change how I act. I'm going to join a program. No, these deeds are wrought by the eternal grace of the living God. This is the eternal life that comes from the sent one, from heaven, who came to this earth. And understand this, my friend, that life and light and truth always go together. But on the other side, the reason that men hate light and love darkness is because their deeds are deceitful. So the lie and darkness and death are always in the same group. Is that right? As much as darkness is the opposite of light, my friend, life is the opposite of death and truth is the opposite of deceit. Yes or no? And here's exactly what happens with darkness. You see, darkness allows us to be what we really are. We are deceitful. And darkness brings out the worst in us. And there's a lot of worst. Excuse my English. It's really bad. When the lights go off, when I'm not around the righteousness of God, when I'm not around the light, it gets bad. And all of us. Some of you stand up and you're like, Brother Nance, uh, you know, or you, you're presenting, you're like, you know, our town, it's, it, it doesn't have a church and it's wicked and it's filthful, filthy and it's evil and it's corrupt and you mean there's no light there so they're, it's bringing out the worst in them? They're living in darkness? Come on, everybody with me on this? So, so you, you and I need to understand a concept here that when Jesus came to this earth, he came with light and life and truth. And this earth was not welcoming. It, 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 it didn't embrace him. It didn't love him because men love darkness rather than light. And there's a reason why. Because in the darkness, we, we are our best. In the world's eyes, but in the righteousness of God, we are our worst. 
And that light all of a sudden exposes how wicked we are. An article that I read from a, a, a journal called The Atlantic, I will say up front, I don't know if it's a good journal or a magazine or not. So if you type it up and you're like, I can't believe Pastor Nance looked at this. I was searching for, for one item and I found it in this journal. So help we're clear on that. They put out an article and the article was of a study that was conducted at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill referred to. And uh, <laughs> there were three professors and universities that, that came together to tag team on this, on this study. The University of Toronto, the University of Waterloo, and also included as the University of North Carolina. They took an earlier study from the 60s and 70s which found that criminal assaults most frequently occurred during the hours of darkness and that just improving street lighting in urban areas would reduce the crime and it did reduce the crime by 33 to 70%. Just street lights. Stop the crime. It's an amazing fact. So these three universities took this old study and thought they would do a new study on just their students. So they're not going out into the streets. They're bringing in their well-beloved young Americans. They brought them into two different classrooms, gave them the same test, the same procedures, had a, uh, uh, just, just different things that they went into. I won't go into that other than that they were allowed to change their scores and by changing their scores and manipulating things, they were able, they were getting paid by their score. The only difference between the two rooms was the amount of light. They monitored the test. They knew when they cheated. They were able to survey all of this. They knew when they would change things. They had no idea that they were not being monitored on the test as much as they were being monitored on their character. It's kind of convicting just even talking about this. Here's what, here's what it said. It said, over-reporting their performance, 61, listen to this, 61% of the participants in the dim room cheated and lied while in the bright lit room 24% cheated and lied 37% changed in the two rooms and the difference is is what it says in other words eight additional fluorescent lights reduced dishonesty by 37 percent now these are not christians these these are people that are just worldly and lost and they're just following a an old study Here, here's here's what here's the last line and i'll read this <clears throat> the only difference between the two rooms this is what they say was the level of darkness 
do we not realize? Sometimes when you go into a city, there's a certain level of darkness. And their deeds are evil. And they're not coming to the light. And we understand that there is a need. There is a need for light. Therefore, God challenge us with a heavenly responsibility. Yes, Ye are the light of the world. Amen. Do you understand that? Amen. You're the light. You're the light. You're the thing that will change that the behavior that you'll change their hearts. You'll bring in conviction. You'll, you'll bring in the gospel. What a, what a responsibility that we have. So notice back in our text in Matthew chapter 5. And notice what it says. Verse 13 or verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The first illustration that our Lord gives outside of the salt and the light is a city that's set on a hill. The first, I, I believe that this is speaking about two areas. Number one, it's talking about light that is outside. It is the light that is, that is not on the inside, but it's a public light. And the second thing about a city that's on a hill, it is more than one person that has turned on a candle. It is more than one person that has put up a, 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 maybe a lamp on a street corner. But it's multiple, multiple, multiple lights that are lighting. It is literally corporate lighting working together to light up an entire mountain and shedding that light down into the valley. You know what I love about this? This is corporate light. It's exactly what it is. It's where you're coming in with your candy and you're like, man, look at those guys, they're burning over there and those guys are burning over there and those guys are burning over there. And look at this church, man, they, they used to run four, they had four candles, now they're up to 12 candles. Amen. Woo! Yeah. And, and they were running six and it split down to three and then my wife almost left me. But she stayed in it. Now we're up to 35. That's 35 lights. 35 lights that the city didn't have before. There's something about a city that's set on a hill and he's given the illustration of this traveler that's wandering through the darkness and he looks over there and he says, man, you can't hide that. You can't cover that up. That used to not be there. Look how bright that thing's growing. Look how big it's getting. City on a hill is corporate light. Secondly, notice here that God not only wants us we see the corporate light, but notice in verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I want to just say this, pastors. Man, I'm telling you, God help us. We need to pass out tracks, and we need to get the lights lit in our city. We'd better have the light shining in our home. telling you man that's got to shine bright in our home we got to keep that lit got to put it in the center that, that, that light's got to impact the kitchen and the living room and the bedrooms it's got to it's got to impact the whole home thank God for the guy that's out knocking doors on Saturday but God help us when we're not praying with our family on Tuesday night when the, when the candle's getting dark, it needs to be lit everywhere. 
we find here that there's a, a, a teaching here that, that you, would, you would take this light and you would put it literally in, in the center. You would put it on this candlestick so that all that are in the house could see this light. Aren't you thankful when somebody gets saved, they go back and they take the gospel and they change a life? We had a family that came over from Honduras, or at least the, the girl and her mother did. She's a teenage girl. Her name's Cherry. She came to our church through our Spanish ministry. And uh, she uh, came, and when she came, man, they, they just loved on her. And I, I won't go into the details of her home, but I'll just say this. Her home was a wreck and a mess. She came to church just because she wanted to get out of her home. That's how bad it was. But I watched this girl get saved. And I watched her go to teen camp. She was telling me, I don't, she was kind of shy and, and she said, I, I don't understand a lot of English. I said, well, you'll be fine. I looked over in one of the services and I'm watching her just bawl, just crying. And then she goes and talks to my wife and I walked up to her and I said, sure, you know a lot more English than you're letting on. I said, you understood that sermon. She's just crying, shaking her head getting things right with God. She comes on Friday of camp. She says, she goes, uh, uh, my, my family doesn't have a lot and they don't. I've been to their house. We visited them. They live in a very rough area. But she says, I want everybody to pray. And I'm asking that for my birthday, my mom and her boyfriend and my family will come to church and watch me get baptized. You know what they did on her birthday? It was about three weeks later. Had a, had a Spanish family sitting in the back there. First time ever there in church. People loving on them. People, people hand, shaking their hands. They actually had a special little get-together with some of the Spanish afterwards just to welcome them. And, and I watched a girl get baptized. You, you know what was happening? There was one light that penetrated a dark home. It's what it's all about, isn't it? It's what it's all about. So we understand here, notice, notice this passage in verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, verse 15 starts off with almost a shocking statement. Neither do men. Now, now these people lived by candlelight. They, they understood that. It was, it, was, it was very important to them. And they understood no one would ever light a candle and put it under a basket I mean, that, that just, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's foolishness. I mean, why would you light a candle? If you'll allow me, I'm going to, it's even gold. Talk about the Lord working things out. It makes absolutely no sense for me to, spend the money on this candle to make this candle and then to light it and then to conceal its light. Two things, once it's under that bushel, number one, 
The light is of no value. You can't see it. It might as well have been as dark as it was before the candle was lit. Second thing is this, you put a candle under a bushel like this and it's only a matter of time before the flame is suffocated. It's not gonna last covered up. Is that true, yes or no? So, so, so we, under, we understand a principle that's being taught in this passage and it is this, no one, no one can cover your light except you. That city on the hill, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. There's not a tarp big enough to cover that one. Am I right? Sorry, buddy. It's bright over there. I wish they would just turn it out. Sorry, man. Can't get him to turn it off. Unless each one individually begins to hide it. You see, because we understand something about light. You see, light is a creation, created substance. And darkness, darkness does not have power over light. Light has power over darkness. Genesis 1. Turn there quickly. Genesis 1. It's the first book of the Bible. That was a little joke. Verse 15. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to, what's that next word? Rule the day. And the lesser light to what? Rule the night. He made the stars also. Verse 18. And to, here's this word again to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God said that it was what? Now no, 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 catch this. So I want you to understand something. When we come into a room like this, there is a light switch. There is the ability to turn on the light. How many understand there's not a darkness switch? Let's just think about it. Oh, wait, it's too bright in here. Let's turn on the darkness. You don't turn on the darkness. You don't. Well, Brother Nance, then how do we get darkness? Well, darkness and light operate the same way that heat and cold operate. Cold only exists because of the absence of the heat. When I remove the heat... All that is left is cold. When I remove the light, all that is left is the darkness. And by the way, if I really wanted, I want, I want you to get this. If I really wanted it completely dark in here, I mean, I, I would have to get, I'd have to get cloth and paper and cover those windows. I would have to operate in such a way to where I could block out the light 
but understand this, that darkness has never ruled over the light. The light has always ruled over the darkness. But as how do we overcome darkness? We turn on the lights. Turn them on. Now, now, now did you see what happened? Now, these bulbs have to warm up just a little bit. But, but let, me, let me tell you what happened. You saw it with your own eyes. We turned on the light. And the darkness said, no way. You're not taking over this room. And so it kept the light at bay. And there was like this war going on. Did y'all see it? And, and, and like for the, you know, like, a, a, like a, an eighth of the room had light and the rest of the room was dark. And they were fighting the forces of darkness against the light and they almost didn't make it. And then the light got a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and then it had half the room. Didn't happen like that at all. You see, when the light came on, darkness could be no more. Because light rules darkness. We turn on the lights. You know how we get darkness in here? We just remove the light. You know why there are churches? I don't think we realize the importance of a church being planted. I don't think we understand the spiritual light. Boom. Say, Bananas, you know, but I, I've only got 10 people. Amen. Boom. Amen. Well, I was preaching Sunday and I didn't have a whole lot of people come. Boom. Now, I, I, honestly, we've got this idea, and, and I understand there's spiritual warfare. I, I get all of that, but I'm just telling you, we give darkness way too much credit. Yeah, I, I get darkness has, has, has been there, but the reason darkness has been there is because too many Christians, listen to me, no one, no one, no one, no one can overcome the light except for you. And the question is, why would a man light a candlestick and then put it under a bushel? It makes absolutely no sense. Because if he doesn't do that, no one can stop the light. It's powerful. It's penetrating. It works. And the, and the lesson that he's driving is, ye are the light of the world. Now, I, I want to quickly to just notice the emphasis of this light. So we, we notice here back in our text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, verse 16, hear the plea of our, of our Savior, the sent one, the one who would Allow his light to shine even from the cross of Calvary. Notice what he says in verse 16. Let your light, your light, your light so shine before men. Why, Brother Nance? 
First of all, that they may see. There are two times outside of John 1 where Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. For time's sake, John 9 is where a man is born blind. The disciples are arguing and they ask the Lord, was this man born, was this man, is he blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? How many know the text? You know the text, we won't go there. I don't get enough hands, we're going there. All right, we won't go there. (laughs) You non-Bible people. I'm just joking, just joking. Don't get offended. So in John 9, the Lord tells him, no, no, this man is not here because of of somebody's sin. This is not a, a sickness related to a person's rebellion, but he was born this way. By the way, aren't we all born with a sin nature? And Jesus goes to this man and he puts, he puts the, the mud on his eyes and then tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and what I love about this story is this, is that the blind man sees and the Pharisees who thought they saw never saw. Right. And, and, and then they begin to question this man who now is light. Who healed you? Tell us whether Jesus is a sinner or no. Whether he be a sinner, I know not. But one thing I do know is where I was blind, now I see. Will you also be his disciples? We be the disciples of Moses. They're blind. They're in darkness. You know what I love about it? Jesus comes to him. He never saw Jesus when he was blind. I love that statement. Who is he, Lord? Oh, what a joy it was for this man to see Jesus, to worship Jesus. The blind saw. You you know what happens? You know what light does? It allows men to see. Notice what else it says in the passage. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The other passage where Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world is just one chapter over. I'll go backwards. John 9 was the man born blind. John 8 is where a woman is caught in the very act of adultery. She is minutes away from her death. I can see them with stones already in their hand. Before they stone her, they decide to use her and they throw her before the Lord. The law says we ought to command, we ought to stone her, but what do you say? Trying to somehow entrap the Lord. You know that blessed story where the light of the world begins to ride on the ground? One by one, from the eldest, they begin to leave. Jesus says, where are thine accusers? No man, Lord. She got it right, didn't she? You You know what light does? 
light changes us. This woman was not only, I want, I want you to get this, this woman was not only in darkness, she was darkness. Yes or no? Caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, you know, there, there are some things we can forgive, but I will tell you what, uh, this crosses the line. Grab a stone. God was demonstrating his power to cleanse us, not just from some sin, but from all sin. Now, I get excited when the blind man who had a sinful nature from his birth is able to see and he is literally light. Do you know what happened to this woman who would be disgusting and corrupt and defiled and worthy of death and a deceiver and one who was darkness? You, you know what the light of God did to her? It not only cleansed her of sin, it made her light. I think there's a phrase in there, go and sin no more. Sounds like God changed her nature. Sounds Sounds like she came to Jesus, an adulterer, and she left Jesus light. Is that what happened? Yes, sir. It's powerful. Amen. Changes lives. Yes, Changes lives. I, I, I just feel like we have forgotten. I, I, think, I think we have, we have built up the darkness, and I, I, I want to say this right. We've built up the darkness so great, but light rules Darkness. Darkness doesn't rule the light. Let your light shine. Well, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm meeting in some hotel right now, and nobody's even coming. Then shine. Preach, put it on a candlestick, shine, shine. I, I, I think you've got adulterers in your, your city. You've got blind people in your city. You've got alcoholics. You know what they need? Well, they're not coming. Well, just keep shining it. God has a way of flipping things around. He has a way of sending a tornado to your town. Oh, seriously. Saturday, I had a, I had a, uh, a funeral. There, there, there was 12 there. Darkness, two got saved. Amen. A week from Saturday, I'll have another funeral. There will probably be 200 there. Say, so what are you going to do? I'm going to do the same thing I did with 12. Yes, 
Our mayor's going to be there. She's in darkness. That's all I'm going to say, but hold it up. Hold it up. John Harper was on the Titanic. He was a widow, a widower. He was traveling across with his six-year-old daughter and his sister. He was taking a church. He was a Scottish Baptist pastor. July 15, 1912, when the Titanic hit that massive mountain of ice that slid through the side of that ship, they began to take on water. Certain people were allowed to go into the lifeboats. It was recorded that because the six-year-old girl did not have a mother, that John Harper was offered a seat of safety. He could have escaped. But he spoke to the man and he said, I believe the boats ought to be used for women, children, and sinners. I'm on my way to heaven. Give it to a lost man. The Scottish Baptist preacher began to walk up and down the ship. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. First, I can imagine some of them laughing and mocking. But then the realities of the frigid waters soon became their fate. It was said that John Harper had a life vest, and as he approached one man, he asked him, Are you saved? And the man said, No. John gave him his vest and said, I'm going to heaven. You are not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It said up and down that boat, John Harper was preaching his last message. As the lights went out in the frigid water, people were screaming. It is said that you could hear the voice of John Harper in the frigid waters. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved he was not worried about his clothes he was not worried about what people thought he wasn't worried about what somebody may write about him or the emails he may get he was shining light in his few hours of life four years later there would be a reunion of survivors it is mentioned that one of the topics as they begin to talk about those final hours that this preacher, they didn't know his name, but this preacher kept hollering, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. One man who was hanging on to a piece of floating debris who would later be picked up by a boat Describes how Harper swam over to him and said, Sir, are you saved? The man said, No, I'm not. Are you going to heaven? No, I'm not. Sir, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
thou shalt be saved. The man said, I rejected him and said, I won't. But as I hung there on that piece of debris, I kept thinking, I could be saved. I could be saved. I could be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. I could be saved from my sins. He said, Harper made another round trying to swim around. Did you just see the energy of this dying man? He said, he passed by me a second time and said, pleaded with me, sir, won't you be saved? He said, the second time that he asked me, I said, I will, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Light rules the darkness. Oh God, I pray tonight, would you stir in our hearts? Would you challenge us and help us to realize that we are the light of this world? Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us when our light has not shone in our home. Forgive us when we have hid our candlestick. Forgive us when we have failed to believe in the power of the gospel. Forgive us when we've doubted your ability. Oh God, stir our hearts tonight. With our lasting energy, with our final breath, may we be declarers and preachers of the light and the life and the truth of Jesus Christ. Oh God, we live in a dark time, but God, may we be light. And it's in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.